It is good to see each one tonight. Appreciate you being here. It's good to see Brother Buck with us tonight. I've always, Brenda and I have always enjoyed the times we've been able to go and uh, be with them uh, at Magby Gap, and we certainly appreciate their support of Good News Today. Tonight we're going to look at the consequences of error. Oftentimes people don't stop to think about the consequences of certain things. We see that all the time. And we've all been victim of that, even in our own lives, to where we may not have seen or looked far enough ahead to the consequences of a particular action. Uh, just uh, recently, in I think it was yesterday or day before yesterday, uh, more news from the NFL of tragedy. We, if you uh, recall just a week or so ago, the suicide, murder-suicide involving uh, an NFL player, and then I think it was Friday, there was an accident, two Dallas Cowboy football players, alcohol involved, car wreck, and one died. Oftentimes, we don't really think about the consequences. And it's easy when you're younger because you're still growing and learning and maturing. But as we grow older, we should make better decisions. We should stop and think about things more fully than we do. I know we're all human and we all oftentimes do not do the things we ought to do. And sometimes uh, the consequence of an error may not be that bad, but there are times it can be very bad. There are things in this life that we can do that can cause us much pain and grief because of certain decisions. But when it comes to our spiritual lives, the things that we do in our spiritual lives are very, very important because we understand that there will be an end to our lives on this earth one day and then there will be a judgment day. And according to what we've done in this lifetime will determine where we spend eternity. Yet there are those in the world and the Bible tells us about people who uh, make the wrong choices and especially when it comes to God's word. And the fact of Many people think that they can teach and believe what they choose to and still be all right. But there are some consequences in teaching error. We're going to look at a few tonight. I, as I made a list of the, the consequences that uh, I would like to talk about, I realized I couldn't fit all of them in on one lesson tonight, so I just picked a few to, to look at. But there are consequences of error. And oftentimes it may be intentional, maybe it's unintentional. When it comes to God's word, when it comes to the truth, sometimes people intentionally pervert God's word and choose to follow whatever. And then sometimes it's done from ignorance or lack of knowledge. When Hosea said, talking about the children of Israel, my children, my people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. That's what we're talking about when we talk about ignorance. A lack of knowledge. There are those who will not like the fact that somebody stands up and points out sin, whether it's in their life or they're pointing it at someone else. Some people think that you should just leave people alone, never say anything to them, let them follow what they want. But we're commanded to go out and teach the gospel, and we cannot teach the gospel without pointing out error. If you have your Bibles, turn to Second Peter we're going to look at a few verses in 2 Peter, the second chapter. 
When it comes to false teachers of God's word, many, I feel, are sincere in what they believe and what they teach. I don't think that they intentionally want to lead people to hell. I don't think they want to go there. So I think the majority of the people that are teaching things that are incorrect in God's word are doing it out of ignorance. But it won't matter. The, the consequences will be the same as if they intentionally did it or if they unintentionally did it. But Peter writes, But there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you, who privily shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction. And many shall follow their pernicious ways, by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. And through covetousness shall they feign words, make merchandise of you, whose judgment now of a long time lingereth not, and their damnation slumbereth not. For if God spared not the angels that sinned, but cast, down, uh, cast them down to hell, and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment, and spared not the old world, but saved Noah, the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood upon the world of the ungodly. All the way back to the beginning of mankind, man has failed to see the consequences of going against God. There are times that people will try to make decisions based just on their feelings, just on their assumption of something, rather than checking the facts. That is something that we need to make sure that we do in our lives, is try to have the facts, especially when it comes to God's Word. As you notice here, Peter talks about there'd be false teachers that come into the church. He says there were false teachers back then. There'll be false teachers come into the church. That's not surprising. It's nothing new. But yet, even today, we know the uh, fact that these false teachers in the church are leading many astray. And if you continue to read through this chapter, you will see, especially in verse 20 uh, through 22, what happens to those that continue to do that, speaking of the teachers. But we see there are consequences for error. Sometimes we may pay for decision at the moment. It may be later down the road. When it comes to our eternal destination, people may not pay for the consequences of their actions until judgment day. But as we look at some of these things, one of the most hard things to deal with in our lives as Christians is confusion in the religious world because we have to continually try to get people to change their thinking about religious matters. Teaching error causes confusion. As recorded for us and Paul said in 1 Corinthians 14 verse 33 that God is not the author of confusion so that leaves Satan to be the author of confusion. We see most certainly that there is confusion in the world. Many things. But in the religious world, there is certainly a lot of confusion. And people don't understand that you can't just do what you want. Yes, many people are dedicated to their particular beliefs. And they believe that everyone ought to believe what they believe. But then there are those who believe in universal salvation and believe that whatever you want to believe is okay. And at the end, everybody goes to heaven. Well, we know that that's not what God's Word teaches. But when it comes to confusion, people need to understand the truth. And the Bible speaks plenty about truth and error. 
In John, the eighth chapter, verses 31 and 32, we're very familiar with verse 32, where Jesus talks about, uh, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. The context there and what Jesus was doing at the time, he was speaking to the people, he was teaching the people. And as the text tells us, the fact that uh, he had was in a position where he was teaching people at the time, people had come to him. And verse 31, then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him. Now these were the ones who believed him. Now they had to hear something in order to believe it. The truth was being spoken. Christ had uh, preached the truth. John the Baptist had preached the truth. And all the disciples, I'm sure, were speaking to people. But notice what verse 31 says and then verse 32. Then Jesus said to those Jews which believed on him, If you continue in my word, then ye are my disciples indeed. And ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. If you believe anything other than the truth, you are not free. There's no way around it. Jesus said believing the truth will make you free. Believing in the fact that you're going to believe it and uh, render obedience unto it. That's, an, no, that's a, uh, an obedient belief there, an obedient faith. So we see that Jesus says that there is a difference between truth and error. In our modern age, and I don't, I don't really think it's just in our modern age because you've had philosophers that go back centuries. You know, the Greeks, they love to f talk about philosophy and Talk about what about this and if that. And we have people like that today on different things. They're called think tanks now, I think, where people get together and they throw out ideas. Well, too many people think that religion can be done the same way as secular things, that you can just get together and throw out some ideas, and if it sounds good, let's do it. Well, we know that Jesus said that there is a difference between truth and error. Because what does he say here? You shall know the truth. But how are you going to know the truth? By continuing to believe. By continuing to be with Christ. I don't think it's so much in our country now that we have to convince people that Christ is the Son of God. I think many people believe that. But it comes in trying to convince them that there is a particular way that they have to render obedience unto God. That they just can't accept the fact that Jesus is is the Son of God, and therefore I believe in that, and Jesus is love, and that's all that really matters, and I can be okay. It doesn't really matter what you have in your worship. As long as you are doing something good and positive, God will accept that. Well, that's not what the Bible teaches. But confusion is one of the errors that will cause people to lose their souls because they're believing things, they're confused on it, if a person had no knowledge of any spiritual matters and they had before them several people who claimed to have the truth and each one spoke their version of the truth, they all couldn't be right. Now they could all be wrong, but they all can't be right. And if that person listened to each one and, if, and that person is probably going to go away just as confused as before, unless one of those people has the truth. And that person can know the truth by listening to it. And not be led by feelings and desires and likes and dislikes the way that people do today. There is the fact that the 
condition of confusion is not a good thing. In James, the third chapter, verse 16, James includes confusion with every evil work. When he talks about where there's envying and strife, there is confusion in every evil work. He puts that in the classification of evil works. Because if you can keep a person confused, or if a person is confused, they never will obey the truth until that truth is presented to them and they can distinguish that truth from error. And many in the world today are confused about religion. Honestly and sincerely confused because they hear something from this group over here, something from this group over here. Uh, and I'm sure that you have noticed, if, you know, if you watch religious programs on TV, there are times, and oftentimes we don't have control when we do Good News Today or the programming at GBN. We didn't, well, GBN is a, their own satellite, but yet some of those programs from GBN can be put on, say, a local access channel. Well, if that's the case, just like Good News Today, there's some, we don't have control over what comes on before or after. Just like uh, In Search of the Lord's Way. If it's put on a regular station, there's regular programming, they don't have a choice in what comes on before or after. And if you watch TV, you, it doesn't even have to be our programs. It, it can be just in the religious world. You've got programs that are contradicting each other. Yeah. I had a man tell me one time, I was talking to him on the phone, and he started talking about all these uh, religious, uh, I would say celebrities. And he said, well, I like them all. Well, that told me right there, he's watching a lot of different programs with different people talking about truth and all, but he said he liked them all. Well, there was a man that was confused. Confusion causes division. When we look at 1 Corinthians, the first chapter, Paul is addressing a problem there with the brethren at Corinth that he, he talks about the divisions that uh, occurred there. And one of the problems within those divisions was the fact that they, they had, a, I don't know if it's a contest, bragging rights or whatever, but uh, they were bragging about who had baptized them. So therefore, that was, I don't know if that caused the division or if that was just something that came up uh, among the divisions that were already there. Notice what Paul says beginning in verse 10. He says, Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, but there be that ye be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. There's an idea of unity in diversity, that we can be divided on doctrinal issues, but let's be united in fellowship and brotherhood. That's not what Paul is saying here. He says for us to speak the same thing. Our own brethren talk about speaking and being uh, in unity with one another, although we don't really agree with one another. We'll just agree to disagree. Well, Paul says here to be of the same mind, speak the same thing, and he's talking about doctrinally there. And then he goes on to address the problem, he, uh, verse 12. Uh, now this I say that every one of you saith, I am of Paul, and I of Apollos, and I of Cephas, and I of Christ. Is Christ divided? He's trying to get them to understand the fact that it didn't matter who baptized them, but they were all baptized into Christ. Yet, many people think that's okay. It doesn't really matter if we totally agree on doctrinal issues as long as we're united. Paul says not to be divided. He says speak the same thing. So division comes from confusion. And confusion will cause people to lose their souls. 
Another thing that we see is the fact that confusion causes unacceptable worship. When you have people that are doing all kinds of things in worship, it is not good. They are not following God's word. Because as I mentioned this morning, the the fact about uh, what is included in our worship and to follow those things perfectly. But yet people are doing all kinds of things in the name of worship. Is there any such thing as incorrect worship? Absolutely. Uh, Matthew 15, verse 9, Jesus talked about those that were giving him lip service. He said their hearts were far from him. He says, but in vain they do worship me, teaching for doctrine the commandments of men. Okay, teaching for truth, teaching for uh, correct truth, what men have decided to say is the truth. Jesus says that there's a difference in true worship and unacceptable worship. Also, we know that John wrote in John 4.24 that we must worship God in spirit and in truth. That truth means by God's word, not going outside, not going beyond that which is written. When people stop and, and say, well, it's okay if we do this and that, and you know, we don't find anything wrong with it. Not only are they putting their own souls in jeopardy, they're putting the, the souls of those that are engaged in the same activity with them in jeopardy. Paul, when he was in Athens, Acts 17, verse 23, he says, For as I passed by and beheld your devotions, I found an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God, whom therefore ye ignorantly worship. He points out very plainly that these people were worshiping without the proper knowledge. As he said in King James, he said, the King James uses the word superstitious, but the thing was, these were people who were wanting to worship. But the thing was, they were doing doing it ignorantly, as Paul points out here. Many people are in that situation today. The fact that their worship is not going to be accepted by God because it is not according to God's word. Oftentimes, when we try to point these things out to people, they look at us and they accuse us of being hard-hearted, mean, being a, a people who wants to control all truth. What makes you think your group has the, the uh, monopoly on truth? I've heard people say, and even our own brethren say, that we think we're the only ones that has truth. Well, I only have truth if I have God's word and follow it correctly. We have never been in, in the situation where we have taken the church and tried to make the church say, well, we've got all the truth, and if you don't follow us, you're going to hell. Now, we do know that that is a fact, but we've never presented it that way as some people have accused us because they don't want to hear the fact that they're going to have to do things a certain way. They don't look at the consequences of going away from God's word. They want to follow their own path. There's a time in Israel that every man did that which was right in his own eyes. And we have that as far as a collective body, when we look at the religious world, the collective bodies, I should say, that do that. Another thing we can look at is the fact of false hope. You know, I've been told that if I'm preaching and I offer the invitation and somebody comes down that aisle that I should never ask them any questions, I should go ahead and baptize them if that's what they want. Well, first of all, I don't find that in the Scripture. Second of all, if I baptize them and they're not qualified to be baptized, then I give them false hope. 
Why? Because they're going to come up out of that water thinking they're saved. The thing is, when error is taught, false hope is given. You know, that somebody gave a definition of hope as being desire plus expectation. I think that's a pretty good definition. We desire a certain thing and we expect it. That's hope. Well, if we're giving people false hope, we're condemning them to hell. I know that over the years, there have been those that have come into assembly of the Lord's church and maybe through visiting a few times, whatever, they want to be a part of that congregation. And usually, probably one of the, the main questions that is asked is, well, have you been baptized? You know, for the remission of your sins. Well, I mean, that's not a bad question to ask. But I think there are more things that need to be asked and looked at rather than just the fact were they baptized for the remission of their sins. Because there are denominational people who baptize for the remission of sins. People will try to say, well, the Church of Christ teaches that all you have to do is be baptized for the remission of your sins. Well, that's not what the church teaches. If the church is teaching that's all you have to do, then they're teaching incorrectly. Because we know the prerequisites, that's a hard word to say sometimes, <laughs> prerequisite for a person being able to be baptized. And if we do not teach the whole truth to get them to the point of baptism, then we have failed. We have given them false hope. And many people have been accepted into the Lord's church just because they said they were baptized for the remission of their sins. One thing we might would want to ask is, what do you understand about baptism? What does baptism mean? Because some people will say, well, they sprinkle over here, so that's baptism. As I mentioned to you not too long ago, the, I think I did about a, a discussion with a young man that says as soon as the... People on Pentecost believed they were baptized, as the scriptures say. But his mind was, as soon as they accepted that Christ was the Son of God, in their mind they were baptized. So we have to make sure that we're on the same page. But yet, by accepting someone in without really finding out where they are, we may be giving them false hope. Now, although we may have the truth, we're not following it correctly. And yet, that is happening in the church today. But we know that a person has to obey the gospel in order to have the right kind of hope. 2 Thessalonians 1, 7 through 9. And, of course, Paul tells us the fact that the Lord Jesus is our hope in 1 Timothy 1, 1. So it, when false doctrine is taught, it gives people false hope. Many people look down upon us because we try to help people. And, they, and when we tell them the truth, oftentimes we're accused of being unloving. You know, if I didn't love someone, I wouldn't care if they went to, you know, heaven or hell. I wouldn't care if I didn't love that person. The reason we go out and try to get people to obey the gospel is because we do love people. We do care about them. The reason we stick with truth is because we care about truth. We care about uh, speaking and living God's word as we've been commanded. And to go out and teach someone to try to get them to realize that what they need to do is render their life to God and to have eternal life, that's loving a person. But yet, we have 
a tremendous job ahead of us by sticking with the truth and, help, truth and helping others to come to understand it. And I think one of the most saddening consequences of false doctrine is the fact of eternal condemnation. How many people are going to lose their souls because they're being taught something that is incorrect and they will follow that and many times without ever giving it a second thought? Well, the psalmist said, as recorded for us in Psalm 119, 104, that God hates every evil way. And to teach false doctrine is an evil way. And God hates that. 1 Peter 4, 11, Peter says, If any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. Now knowing that, I'm going to do my best to understand this word correctly because I don't want to misspeak God. I don't want to misrepresent God in any way. And besides, I'm going to have to stand before God at Judgment Day and give an account of what I've done. And I don't want to stand up there and re you know, realize that you know, I didn't do it right and didn't have the desire to find out whether I was doing it right. Jesus said, as recorded for us in John 12, 48, He that rejecteth me and receiveth not my words. Now notice what he says, He that rejects me. Well, you can't reject Christ without rejecting the word. You can't reject the word without rejecting Christ. They go hand in hand. But he says those people who reject him are going to be judged by the word. There are, I don't know how many verses in the New Testament alone that talk about truth and error. Uh, we know that the Old Testament is a much larger collection of, of inspired writings but we can go to the Old Testament and find many uh, verses that deal with truth and error also. So is God concerned with truth and error? Absolutely. Should we be concerned with truth and error? Should we be concerned about what we tell people? Absolutely. I had, have not always been faithful to the Lord in church and there were a number of years I was away from the church, but my early upbringing and early understanding of what was required of a Christian as far as following God's word. I was out in the world, and when I decided I needed to change my life, I could have gone anywhere, right? This is America. I could have gone to any religious body in this country if I had desired to do so. But one thing that brought me back to the church was my understanding of the church being the only true church, the Bible being the only word that we need to go by, and should be going by. Those were the things that made me realize where I needed to be in life, in serving God. But yet, to many in the world, it's not necessary to be that strict, or that dedicated, or that precise. Oftentimes, uh, we've been accused of being legalist. In other words, you just follow this commandment, that commandment, your heart is not in it. Well... I deny that allegation. As somebody once say, said, uh, I deny the allegation and charge the alligator. And sometimes that may be what we're facing is someone like an alligator because, you know, we, we expect to hold people's feet to the fire and we ought to be expecting our feet to be held to the fire too. When we're put, on, when we're put in a position to stand for the truth, it doesn't matter how hot that fire gets. We need to stand for the truth. And many have fallen and began to teach things that are not correct without 
examining the consequences of their error. You know, we look at, or I do anyway, and I look at the lives of people, and I see the things that they do that are wrong, and, and on one hand you say, well, that person is going to lose their soul because of that. For instance, if a person murders someone, we'll say, well, you know, that person is going to go to hell for that, and they will if they don't obey the gospel. More people will lose their soul because they don't obey the gospel than any particular sin. And uh, the fact that sometimes we'll get the question on Know Your Bible, will this particular sin cause a person to be condemned? Well, you know, it's hard to answer a person like that in five minutes because you've got to explain to them that it's not necessarily one particular sin. Yes, those are not good when people commit sin, but most people will be lost because they do not render obedience unto the gospel. That's where most people will fail. That's where they will suffer the consequences of their error in not obeying the gospel. You're here tonight. Do you need to obey the gospel? You've heard the word. Do you believe Christ to be the Son of God? Willing to repent of your life, uh, your past life, and the fact of, or your current life, and the fact that you're not following God? Willing to confess Christ and then be baptized for the mission of your sins? If you're willing to do that, God is willing to accept you as His child and add you to the body of Christ. As a child of God, if you need to take this time to come forward publicly, don't hesitate because we never know when we're going to leave this world. Pray that you'll come as we stand and sing.